I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, it is Flames Nation Radio, episode 7. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Pike, joined by my co-host, Shane Stevenson. Hi, Shane. Hello, everybody. Well, uh, 20 games in the books, and we're here to talk about the big piece of news. That is the reassignment of Walker Door to the AHL Stockton Heat. Uh, I imagine, Shane, that'll probably take up the bulk of the show, talking about the ramifications of Walker Door's reassignment. I mean, if we want to get into cap implications, like you said on Twitter earlier, like that seems like hey, logical. I'll say this. If you wanted to start breaking down the cap, I, we could go for hours. But I'll uh, say this for Walker Door, kids, when coaches say, hey, can you work on this over the summer? Listen to your coaches. Walker Door is on a two-way contract, an entry-level contract. And entry-level contracts pay you $70,000 at the American League level. Uh, Walker Door has made in three weeks in the NHL what he would make in the entire season in the AHL. So he got the first call up because he was probably the best non-use of Alamaki player in training camp. So not, no, and by use of Alamaki, I mean, Oliver Shillington, I'm mixing up my, uh, my, uh, defenseman. my Slavic defenseman, but yeah, yeah. or Scandinavian defenseman rather. Uh, but yeah, Walker Dewar tip of the cap to you, sir. First and therefore best South Dakota NHLer in history, but also, he'll be back. He was, he did not look terrible in his one game. He played eight and a half minutes. He was perfectly acceptable when the flames were ragdolling an AHL team with a few good players on it. So, I mean, it was a good game to get him into. He, like, yeah, that, you know, was, that he, was the right game. That was a right game to test. Oh yeah. So that, that it either means that uh, Brett Reggie's coming back, which he probably will be at some point, or it means that the flames are trying to save three days of cast space, which they also might be. So we'll, we'll, the short answer is we'll find out Saturday uh, what's going on. Uh, We'll probably have to find out. I think the flames are, the flames were off entirely on Wednesday uh, when we're recording this on Thursday and Friday, I believe they're, they're, uh, they're skating. So we might find out as early as as Thursday, whether or not Brett Ritchie is back in action or close to it. Uh, He hasn't been skating with the team at all, but they've been on the road for three weeks. So my guess is he's probably been skating on his own. I don't know that he has, but you don't send down your 13th forward unless you are pretty sure you're going to have a 13th forward at some point. So Walker Dewar, down to the minors good for him he he you know he was he got rewarded for a really nice training camp and you know is isn't isn't it nice to see people get rewarded because 
you know, as, as uh, Paige, Paige Seward and Mike Gould, uh, our AHL gurus would uh, attest to, he was an exceptionally ordinary AHL player right after college. And then he became more than that over the summer and he got paid for it. So kudos, sir. Uh, I think I think many of us and many of our readers would uh, would have loved the paycheck that he got um, for his three weeks there. Hey, if 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 you know you if you work hard and you're rewarded, it's hard not to feel good for for, uh, hey, for someone getting reward. I'm but more, for the kid. But more more importantly, I mean, he was a small part of arguably one of the best starts in Calgary Flames history. We're uh, 20 games in, 20 out of 82, uh, one quarter through the season. Uh, as an aside, folks refer to this as the quarter pole. Horse racing, the poles refer to how many miles you have left in the race. Uh, a typical horse racing track is a is a mile around, uh, and uh, the quarter pole indicates you have a quarter mile left to run. Uh, similarly, there's an eighth pole, and so on and so forth. But so we're at the quarter mark of the season, uh, and the Flames have 29 points in 20 games. They have three regulation losses to Shane. Tell me if I'm missing one of them. Uh, Edmonton, San Jose, Montreal. That's it. That Those are the three regulations. Two in regulation. And one of them they got goalied, one of them they got McDavided, and one of them they actually got shut down defensively. So, so all you, in you all, can 19, make, you can make 19 case. games. Yeah, you could make the Montreal game. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was just it, the Montreal game was very similar to the Edmonton game in that they. No, it was wasn't so much McDavid, but just their special teams got got thumped. Mm. And you know, if you you're, you're the, they've lost two two of their three regulation losses been on the road, uh, where you don't have last change, so you can get sort of a little bit vulnerable. And you know, let's, let's you know tip tip of the cap. Like I mean, you know, I broke this down on the site on the team level uh, earlier on Wednesday. Uh, Shane, I know you're hard at work. I interrupted you. Uh, you're hard at work. Uh, working on some uh, some individual level uh, deep dives into how the Flames did the first twenty games, and the the you know the the biggest we'll get into this as we as we move along. The biggest question I've gotten from friends, family, acquaintances, coworkers, people on the street, the person who runs the corner store, hey, are the Flames actually this good? And the short answer is, yeah, yeah I think they are kind of this good yes. because you know they're. You know, they're a, a very good structural team. They don't give up a lot. I believe, uh, according, I believe the, the folks at uh, Sportsnet quoted Sports Logic saying that the Flames give up the least rush chances in the NHL of any team. Uh, they've given up the least goals of any team. They are amongst the best teams in terms of giving up the fewest expected goals, high danger chances, uh, scoring chances. Basically, any t- anything you want to use for quantity of, of chances against and quality of chances against they're among if not the best team in hockey uh are they going to get 95 percent or 96 percent even strength goaltending the whole season no. Uh, no it'll it'll probably creep let's be honest it'll probably you know all things being equal uh in the well, analytics community we talk about regression uh here here's the basic theory about regression it sort of comes from basic statistical analysis if talent and skill and organization, all these things that we, we use to measure things. If everything is equally distributed and you play an infinite number of games, then all of the teams, their shooting percentages and, sh- and save percentages will sort of disperse generally close to the statistical average. So the, the, you know, the term is regression to the mean. So it means that over the course of an infinite number of games with uh, talent equally dispersed, everyone sort of bunches up around 
15th, 16th overall. Like they're all going to be very close together. Uh, the Flames are fairly significantly apart from that. And part of that is because, you know, Dan Vladar and Mark Schirmer are on hot streaks right now. But I think you can also say a good portion of that has been the Flames have been playing very buttoned up, which makes it easier for goaltenders to make those saves, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're specifically the last two games against Boston and Chicago, one where they could have had all the excuses in the world to, I wrote about that, uh, to play bad. You know, they're tired. They've played 20 games in 39 days now. Uh, they could have done anything, but they pushed back, dominated. And if you look at the shot heat maps from those two games, they gave up nothing defensively, almost nothing, both games. I think the Chicago game, like they, I'll say this for the Chicago game, haven't been there live. The Flames were sloppy as hell, but you yeah. know, they, despite being sloppy as hell and exhausted, like uh, after the game, you know, you know, Lucic and uh, Matthew Kachuk told us media folks that, you know, they, they looked exhausted and they were looking forward to just spending today, just sort of laying around their houses and just doing nothing because they spent a lot of times on planes. I think Milan mentioned that when they got back from the Boston game, they like, I think, uh, they flew back. They got out of the Boston airport at like 1130 Eastern time. They had a four and a half hour flight. They got into their own beds at like 3, 330 in the morning. So, you know, it's that was a long day. They didn't skate the next day. They went straight into a game against uh, Chicago, a kind of a scrappy team. And, you know, despite the fact that they were absolutely gassed, they stuck to their structure. And even though they were horribly sloppy at times, the puck, their puck management was not great. They didn't take a lot of penalties. They took one minor penalty the whole game. Uh, they did not give up a lot, despite being kind of sloppy. When they slopped it up, they were sort of slopping it around the uh, the periphery of their zone in the neutral zone, and they were good at sort of backtracking and, and taking away chances. So, I mean, this, you know, Daryl Sutter's often spoke about, if, you know, if you don't have a good A game, you better have a good B game. That was a B game. They 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 all had their B game, and their B game was enough to beat Chicago. And enough their, their, their B game would be enough if it's as structured as that their B game is most likely enough to beat. That, that's why we're saying they're legit. Like we're watching their B game and it's still legitimate enough uh, to beat uh, imagine probably how, half, over half the teams in the uh, league. Imagine how frustrating it must be for Chicago. Cause you go into a, into a building in Calgary that you know, you're know you playing against a team that's played very well. The saddle dome, you know, I think the, the amount of crowd is like 15, 600. So one of the bigger crowds of the, of the season and they're pretty loud for a Tuesday night against Chicago and, you know, the Chicago went in there and they went, they were right there with the flames the whole time. And I think Chicago played pretty well, not great, but pretty well. Like the Chicago Blackhawks have a lot of issues on and off the ice this season, but they were full marks for, I'd say 85% of the game. And then they just found a way to lose. I mean, it was the type of game that the flames would probably have found a way to lose last year or the year before. And they found a way to not lose. You know, it was a game that looked like it might have been going to overtime. And I made the comment to someone in the press box. I'm like, this this seems like it'll be, you know, a greasy goal or an ugly goal. That'll be what decides it. And the Flames put them in a, themselves in a situation where I guess sort of both a greasy goal and an ugly goal from Kachuk. I mean, he was trying to find make a nice pass to, uh, to Gaudreau and it went in off Seth Jones. And that was the deciding goal. So, I mean, yeah. I feel bad they, for you the know, Blackhawks. They deserve, but... they deserved the bounce. Like they play, they the third period was pretty much all Calgary, other than one shift where the Hawks' first line got out against the Flames' fourth line. Uh, it was pretty much all like Calgary didn't let anything happen. Um, Mark Markstrom made the easy saves that the Flames gave him. He had to make the couple tough ones, uh, 
both gaffes in the game were from the goalie. Uh, Daryl even joked about it after. It's a rare, you got to laugh out of him, Pike, you guys. Uh, when you when he asked about the goaltender, he's like, oh, that's not in the playbook. And he giggled a little bit <laughs> and said, he's like, my goalies don't pass the centerman. And I was like, I, I, I really enjoyed that bit. He, he Daryl's in a very a good bit. mood. You could tell that Daryl's looking forward to watching football I, tomorrow. I think I think he was in a good mood because his team just won two games where they had every reason to lose and they didn't. And yeah, they and a pair, he, a pair and, of trap and, games and they managed to come up with four points. And he said his phrase he uses all the time is they're learning how to win. I think he tells them, you guys have all the skills in the world to do it. You just need a system and you need to know how to win. You need to know how to find wins in tough games. And, and well, well, they are well, doing that. Evidence is on the sc- evidence is in the standings right now. We'll we'll, we'll get into the, the the micro of it. So we'll go player position by position in a little sec. But you know, you, you mentioned it, and I think you know as, as much as it's sort of cliche to hear Daryl talk about learning how to win. I mean, let's be honest. How many games? And I, I know the folks listening will, will recall this vividly. How many games? Even just dating back to the eighteen nineteen season, because the Flames. Wrote the percentages in in the first two thirds of eighteen nineteen, got out to a great start and won the conference in the regular season, then fell flat in the playoffs. And I think one of the things that was tough for them was they won by just simply outgunning the other team instead of playing a, a really coherent structure. And the problem with structure is structure can be kind of constricting and 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 boring for talented players because talented players can succeed in almost any situation because they're just good at hockey, but if you want to have a, a, a talented team or a successful team, you have to use structure. And, you know, we've heard, you know, Jeff Ward spoke until the cows come home when he was the head coach here about, you know, structure allows uh, your, your talent to shine through. And I don't think he got the, the adherence to the structure. And I don't know if he really had the structure that the flames needed on a consistent basis. Whereas I think, I think, you know, Daryl Sutter's gotten them to stick to the program more often than not. And how many, you know, I'm just thinking about this thing about how many, close games where the Flames were sort of, you know, they didn't really have their best. They were playing their B game over the last two, three seasons. And if they, you know, got behind the game or it was a tie game, they'd open up a little bit too much and the floodgates would open. We haven't seen that through 20 games this year. They haven't opened. Mm -hmm. There've been no floodgates. There's been even the games where they didn't look great, even the games where, you know, the three regulation losses. I mean, Montreal was dictated by a couple power plays and I think an empty netter. Uh, San Jose was just, uh, I believe Aiden Hill. I think last week we referred to him as Aaron mm-hmm. Dell. Aaron, Aiden Hill. I apologize to those gentlemen, but you have very similar names and you're both Calgary area goalies. Uh, but yeah, Aiden, Aiden, Aiden Hill stood on his head for the Sharks. And, you know, I think the Sharks tried to outstructure the Flames and they got some good goaltending and some bounces. So that's, you know, that's going to happen over an 82 game season. That'll mm-hmm. happen where we know that. But at Edmonton, Edmonton played loosey goosey, but they just had a better power play than Calgary. Like Calgary just that was the game where Rasmus Anderson took a couple of weird penalties in succession, and Oilers ended up scoring a couple times on in that in the I think it was like one right after the power play and one right during the power play, and that determined the game. Like they lost five two. I think I think there was an empty net at the end too with that one. So if you take away the you know those games were just they played very buttoned up even strength. And it just didn't go in for them. And so they lost, but like the other 17 games that they've gotten points in, like they, they've had 12 games where they won straight away once in overtime and 11 times in regulation. And the rest of the time, they just, they've been doing their thing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to see this, this same group do it because, you know, after the game, Daryl talked about 
the importance of I don't we haven't come up with a clever enough nickname for these guys the the three kings uh, Lou Cheech Richardson and Lewis that's a uh, good name the, right there by the way the so, three someone, kings. I, th- I think I think Eric Francis at Sportsnet is trying to get all the king's men to uh to I happen like as a line kings. I like I, you just there's said no just bad now. it flowed better it flowed Let, better anyway me, Maybe it's just me when they have when everyone in the line has a Stanley Cup. I don't care what you call them. They can call, they can be called whatever the hell they want. But the the you know we'll we'll call them the, the Richardson line. But they let's let's be completely honest here. Are Lucci, Richardson, and Lewis are they young? Are they fresh? Are they spry? No, they're all in their mid thirties to late thirties. Are they guys? They're they're always used the term. They know how to win. And what the way I interpret that comment is. They know what their limitations are because mm-hmm. I love Milan Lucic as a hockey player because Milan Lucic knows he's not Johnny Gaudreau and he does not try to be. And because he doesn't try to be anything more than what he is, same with Richardson, same with Lewis, they just crash and bang. And they, they you, look, look at, look at Milan Lucic's goal last game where they simply went into the offensive zone and they crashed and bang and they did some pucker retrieval and they cycled the puck really quickly and they got a goal at it. And yeah. that goal, you know, they, they, they were they, caused that bounce. Like they, the they, they tried to clear and it went right off Richardson's stick to his, it, the shaft of his stick, right to the blade. And, and, and I believe, I believe uh, Richardson also knocked a guy down on that play too. Yeah. And all he had to do was shovel it to Lucic. And you know, credit to Milan Lucic, his shooting ability this year has actually been really good. He, he that, that was actually a really good sharp angle he, shot. He, that scored, he just looked up. He scored and twenty he, plus in the league before. I mean, he knows how to shoot. He's on a, and I think he's and on he's, a twenty goal pace now. Yeah, and he's with some run, he's in a role and with linemates where he's given time and space to shoot because all due respect to that group, they're not usually out against the Patrick Kane's or you Ooh. know Kyle Connors or they're, they're not out against the best players in the other team. They're out against their depth guys. But Ooh. if you're if your depth guys are better than their depth guys, you might win. Here's where the disconnect. Um, matters why that line is important um the they always are dumping it in and tra- chasing after it always they don't really carry it in they, they don't try and it, the d pairs rotate now you might try to match up forwards and, and semi d pairs but the d pairs rotate and when you've got that line dumping the puck in the d tend to cheat lower which allows players other lines while the d are cheating or the lines are changing it allows say richardson to get off and lindholm to come on and then all of a sudden the D are backed up. Lucic can just leave it for Lindholm. And now the Flames have possession in the offensive zone with their top line on the ice. It, 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 that matters. The, the ability to back them up and the constantly, you know, they're, they're ready to play hard. They're ready to get checked. They don't, players don't always know who's coming at them. They just see the red jersey. And it backs them up and it allows, it gives more space for the other players to play. That's why I like Brett Ritchie on the Manjapani Dubé line. He did that too. He, he, he kept the defenders honest. They weren't allowed to cheat up in the zone or, or cut off players too early because the Flames will just dump it in. And the defenders have to play back so they can retrieve the puck if they do that. So it, yeah. it creates it creates such a difference. in. That's why I think Daryl says he uses his lines because if you don't have that line and that line tries to carry it in, well, the defenders know they can just cheat all night and then your top players get less opportunities. So... That line, that, that's another part of knowing how to win because you're dictating how the other team plays right off the hop. Yeah, and, and, and Justin Bourne over at Sportsnet did a really nice uh, piece uh, earlier this week. I think it might have been today even, 
uh, on sort of the the different because you know when when you talk about Daryl Sutter as a defensive coach, I think he bristles a bit at that label because you know he whenever he talks about uh, how to win games, he talks about possession and he talks about managing the puck well. And if you look at that, I mean the Flames, the way they're constructed, the way and not so much the way they're constructed, but the way the players are willing to play within that team concept, the team construction. So far, they all have a role, and since they all have roles and they all have you know success defined for them they just play within that role and within that structure so i mean it's it's been it's been interesting to see because i'll, I'll freely admit i was skeptical the first 10 games and now you know i'm, I'm curious what we're going to see from them i think they got 14 games between now and christmas i'm very curious what we see from them between now and christmas because they have some i think six divisional games between now and christmas they play uh, the powerhouse carolina hurricanes between now and Christmas and they have a lot of really interesting tests before them between now and Christmas. And before we move on to the players, I just want to say, I, I, this all reminds me of something that I watched in, I did watch the Leafs documentary, all or nothing where the Leafs clearly chose nothing, but uh, Dubas and Shanahan have a conversation in there and it's when everything's going right. Pucks are going in for the Leafs. And Sh- I think it's Shanahan says to Dubas. He's like, well, what do you think the public's going to say when the bounces don't go our way? And they knew, like, they they fully expected to have a rough stretch. They're like, yeah, okay, it's good to take the highs, but, you know, we're going to go have to go through the lows. It's going to come. So Calgary's riding the highs right now. There's going to be a stretch where they have, you know, they've won a couple games they probably didn't deserve to. Like, Markstrom stole the Pittsburgh game. And, and there's been a couple that Markstrom and Vladar, Vladar who, who, I can't even remember the one he stole. Um but they've, they've stole a couple games that probably shouldn't have won. And that's great. But, you know, Toronto. get prepared. Toronto, yeah. Get prepared for the lull where, you know, there's they're going to be doing everything right and the pucks don't go in. Because that's just the nature of the NHL. That happens. And it'll happen a couple times over a short stretch at some point. The key, and the key was this season, it worked right off the hop. Every single player in that dressing room knows after this 20 game stretch that if they play this system and they play the way they have, they can beat any team on any given night. They, they, they learned that right off the hop. They, it's the results have been seen. So that belief can be carried even through into that rough stretch. You can coaching staff can point and say like, well, look how good you did just doing this before. And the players can tangibly say, yeah, no, that works. Let's just keep, keep at it and keep doing it. So, that's very important for overall morale when it gets low. And, you know, this stretch happened at the start of the season. I'm not, you know, do does, does every player buy in properly the way they have? You're not sure. You don't know. Luckily, we didn't have to experience or talk about that. So uh, it, it's a positive it's, going forward that they found the success early. So when they hit their inevitable lull, they can push through it. I can't, I couldn't say it any better than you. Uh, Flames Nation <laughs> Radio is brought to you by DoorDash. Uh, Shane, let's dive into positions. We'll start with goaltending. And we already touched on uh, the two men in masks a bit earlier. I don't know what more we can say. The Calgary Flames do 20 games, have seven shutouts. Uh, I believe, uh, I, I don't know if it still holds true, but through 19 games, they were the first team since the invention of the forward pass in 1929 29. to have seven shutouts through 19 games. Uh, 
Jacob Markstrom has been the Jacob Markstrom that the Flames hoped he would be last year. Shockingly, I mean, I think we talked about this last week. He had to get used to some defensemen who he didn't know outside of uh, maybe Chris Tanev. Uh, he had to get used to a new coach uh, in uh, Jeff Ward. He had to get used to a team that was, uh, to be charitable, kind of iffy in the defensive zone. Their defensive structure wasn't great. This year, their defensive structure is better this year he's playing like how many guys has he never played with before he hasn't played with good branson actually no he played with good branson in vancouver briefly didn't he mm-hmm. yeah he, uh, he, he knows good branson didn't play with he didn't he, play with he never played with zadarov but he, but he you know, did play with he had a full preseason year. to get used to zadarov he had and everyone else is like the other six defense the other seven defensemen on the team are guys he played with before not very much potentially but he had a preseason and he had however much previous experience to have with them so it's you know it's great and Hopefully, you know, he doesn't uh, he doesn't get hurt again because that, you know, a head head injuries suck like concussions are Mm -hmm. scary and crappy because you don't know how people are going to react. And he had a, you know, just a rough go of it in this last two thirds of last season. And thankfully, he seems like he's doing much, much better. And it looks like that in the ice. He looks comfortable. He looks confident. He looks like a Vesna caliber goalie. And uh, I mean, good for him. And and, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the key to, I think, all of this was the fact that Dan Vladar came out of the gates and was reliable. I mean, you know, we a lot of people are pre- were sitting there preseason projecting, well, is Markstrom going to get 68 to 75 starts? Because everyone says that's how it usually works with a Sutter team. And and Vladar has been – Vladar is the one I want to talk about because he's you, been you mean, you amazing. Mean, you mean league minimum goalie? Uh, Dan Vladar, yeah. folks – Dan Vladar uh, is uh he's making the league minimum of seven hundred fifty thousand dollars at the NHL level both this year and next year. So for anyone you know thinking, oh, well, he's gonna get a raise. Yes, he's gonna get a raise. He's gonna get a raise in twenty twenty three. So uh for now yeah, after Sean I wouldn't Monahan's worry about deal expires. Like Sean Mon you can check it out at Puckpedia, but after Milan Lucic's deal expires. That's yeah, like, they, yeah, they both have, of those two, it's eleven million off the books that I don't think you're worried. And if for some reason, if Vladar wants to leave in two years, which he's an RFA, so very highly unlikely, you have the best oh, goaltender be currently. He's, he's, he's going to be, uh, I don't, I believe RFA he's not, he'll be an RFA and he, he, he'll played more, more than enough games to not qualify as a group six. So he's, the flames have his rights for a while mm-hmm. and he seems yeah. super like, you know, talking to Dan, he's, He's a very nice young man based on our very limited interaction with him as, as media. Uh, he's super, he reminds me a lot of, uh, of David Riddick where when David Riddick came in, David Riddick was so excited that an NHL team took a chance on him and gave him a chance to play in the NHL. And so, Dan, you know, David Riddick, while he was with the flames, basically busted his ass to be a good NHL goal. And he was, he was pretty successful and now he's in Nashville and, you know, hopefully he's, he's feeling better. Cause I know he had a bit of a, a health scare with a, a COVID positive test uh, based on the length of time he's been in the COVID protocol. But Dan Vladar has big British energy. He's super, super friendly and he's overly, you know, he's super enthusiastic and he seems so excited that and he's the, athletic and massive too. Like he's, yeah, and I, he's and the I think, same size as Mark. And I, I think the, the nice thing is that stylistically, like, you know, I've I'm old, Shane. I don't know what yeah. I, I don't want to break this to you. I'm old. I've been watching the flames in person since the, the 90s. Uh 
for some years of bad, bad hockey. But even during the good, good hockey, during the, the Kiprasov years, the problem the Flames had, I think, in a lot of different ways, it was difficult to have – you're not going to find a second goalie in your system as good as Mika Kiprasov was during his prime. It just wasn't yeah. going to happen. But the yeah. other problem was, stylistically, the guy they kept bringing in, maybe Vesa Taskala was stylistically similar, but by the time they got Toskala, he was awful. But for years, they kept trying to find someone who could be a stylistic match to Kiprasov and be relatively consistent. Because the problem was the Flames in, in front of Kiprasov played like they knew the goalie would make the first two saves so they could play an up-tempo game and sort of open up a little bit and not have to play as defensively minded. And they won a lot of games at Kiprasov. But then you put in the backup, I mean, uh, the, the one that I think of vividly is poor Curtis McElhinney, which McElhinney is more of a stand-up goalie, more of sort of a, a throwback, much less butterfly, more of a stand-up guy. And he's since gone out to, you know, he recently retired, but he went out and carved a great, great career for himself as a backup goalie, a really reliable one. But McElhinney, because he was stylistically different than Kiprasov, I don't know if the, play, the Flames knew how to play with him because they're like, this guy looks entirely different than Mika. And so I think they were jumpy and they were nervous. And, you know, you, you know, Shane, you probably remember, I know you're a bit younger, but you know, the, the oh, Flames yeah. went through, like they went through, let me think off the top of my head, you know, Roman Turk, Turk was Dan great. Taylor. Dan, uh, no, Dan, Danny Taylor never played uh, with the Flames. He dresses a backup in one game, but they went through, okay. they went through off the top. Yeah. You mentioned Henrik Carlson in relation retired, Brian Boucher. Uh, oh God. Uh, but Jonas Hiller. Kari Ramo, Yoni Ordio, even just Irving. even just the backups to to Kiprasov, like Irving and, yeah. and I they, start, they, they went through that. they went through I think eight backups in like seven or eight years. They barely ever had the same guy twice uh, because it's so difficult to find complementary styles, complementary personalities, complementary talent levels. And, and now with Vladar, they have you got so similar to Marks. You got two tall guys, one older, one younger, one guy who's who's contended for the Vesna, one guy who's been a really good AHO goalie and really wants to get better. And they it seems like they found a really nice complementary niches with each other because you know you can you can play the hell out of Markstrom, cool. but on nights when he's quiet, you can, you know, you can park him and put Vladar in for a couple of games and use him to reset and not worry about losing. Or at least and not how worry great about is it for Sigalette and LaBarbera to have like Vladar. He's so sim- like you said, he's just so similar. They can literally like you want to know what success for you looks like. Why don't you look at the guy that plays the more games than you? Because you guys are the, almost the same stylistically. And if you imitate or or recreate what he can do for yourself, you yourself will find a career very similar. Markstrom didn't. It, many people don't re- remember this. He started in Florida. He was a top prospect. He was traded. I think he was the centerpiece for Luongo, I believe. There was like three big, big Canucks, uh, Florida trades. And I can't remember which one he was in, but I think you're right. But, I think, but, but Markstrom at the time, I remember I was, I was, I was a bit younger. I was still in my high school days, I believe, or coming out of them. And I remember that everyone was talking, all the insiders were talking about how good of a prospect you know, like the Sam Constantinos of the early 2010s were talking about how great it probably was Markstrom still Sam Constantino. <laughs> probably. And, uh, and I remember. And so then when he started and it took forever for him to catch on in Vancouver, it was always like, oh, like maybe he's not as good as, as you thought. But 
you know, he, he just, he just turned out great. And now Vladar can watch him and it's just, and you know, Vladar doesn't have to have that rough lean in period. He can just watch Markstrom as his mentor. And, and the state of the Calgary Flames goaltending is the best it's ever been. I I honestly think. Let me jump in here because, you know, we'll, we'll get into this a bit when we talk sort of about some of the other positions, but like, let's be honest, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys in a little secret. The, the Flames are extremely high on Dustin Wolf. I mean, he's 20, and he's unquestionably, based on how they use him, the number one goalie in Stockton. Like, they, the plan coming into the season was basically, let's just play the hell out of Dustin Wolf and see how he reacts, see how we can adjust. And so far, I mean, he played, he played four games last year, and he was quite good, and then he just dominated the WHL again. And then, so far, I mean, he hasn't had a regulation loss this season. His, as a 20 he's been, he, he if turned, he's not the best goaltender in the AHL he's certainly top three five there, there's a handful of guys with just absolutely gaudy numbers because it's been a, this cohort of goalies in the young in their early 20s in the AHL it's it's a wonderful time to be a fan of goalies because there's so many good ones but you know the the nicest thing for the flames is like Dan Vladar like like we mentioned earlier is under contract this year and next year for 750 so he's you don't have to worry about it. Uh, Jacob Markstrom is under contract for this year and many more years at six mil. So you don't really need to worry about like they can do the old fashioned set it and forget it thing with Dustin Wolf and just let him just dominate the AHL and not have to worry about having to come in here and be the savior because you and, know, we, we've yeah. seen, we, you know, uh, not to be overly critical of our friends in the North. They finally seem to have figured out how to adapt prospects in. Like Kyle Yamamoto is doing really well in, in a in a complimentary role. Uh, you know, Evan Boucher is getting brought along slowly. So is Phil Broberg. They they they're finally seem to figure out prospect development in terms of bringing it along more slowly. And I think a lot of that has to do with you know as maligned as he has been. I think uh, you know their GM now brought his Detroit mindset with him in terms of prospects, which is great because that's probably the right way to do it. Because for so many years, the Edmonton Oilers drafted these beautiful young men, like these great prospects, these guys that, you know, causing these people who didn't care about prospects knew about the players the Edmonton was drafting before they drafted them. That's how good these kids were. And then an 18 year old kid has to save the franchise. Like it's just too much pressure to put on a kid. And outside of like, the only guy who can really withstand the pressure was Connor McDavid because he's Connor McDavid, but everybody else, like, you know, I can, that's just, that just sounds terrifying. So yeah, I think the flames, have, them, yeah. the flames have been good at just sort of being a bit more Detroit-y to use a term with their prospects. And especially now, like they, you know, they, they have the ability that let's say someone gets the flu or a hangnail or stubs their toe or something, they can bring in Ann Verner for, a week or two and not have to worry about yeah. throwing wolf in like it's not something they have to do they don't have they're, to throw a kid in there and we'll get into in this such a good spot organizationally like it's just top top like like top to bottom they're actually this is the best and they brought all three of these guys came in this year and the other guy came in last year like they did a complete overhaul of the entire goaltending position and, last and, two and years. you'll know you'll notice it sort of coincided uh, hi, Jordan. Uh, it coincided with Jordan Siglet becoming director of goaltending. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's some, I think the, the, the structure they want is something they've wanted uh, to do for a while. Don, Don Maloney said in intermission, he specifically, Jordan Siglet was the guy that wanted Wolf, and Jordan Siglet was the guy that wanted Vladar. Like he, he said, he fought for those, is what Maloney said on the broadcast when he talked <laughs> with Ryan Leslie. So 
like 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 absolutely and then they brought in la barbara to be an actual like more modern day and like, and they brought and they brought in thomas spear from the u.s national yeah. program to work with uh, the guys in stockton and uh josh robinson who's the current goalie coach in kansas city i believe he was interviewed when they ended up hiring thomas spear and they've ended up uh you know i think the, the flames have are obviously in, involved in development with uh, kansas city they have daniel chechilev down in Kansas City, so he's he's down there working with jo- with Josh Robinson. So it's a really interesting time. And the nice thing is, like, look at the guys they have. Like, Shechilev is twenty, so he'll you know they. I think he 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 falls into a weird developmental gray area because he's he got drafted out of Russia. So in theory, they have his rights for forever, but he's, they're probably going to sign him at some point. But you know, they have Chechilev, who's twenty. Like the oldest goaltender, like the, the oldest minor league goaltender they have is twenty four. And that's yeah, Burner. Burner, so like, yeah. like that's you know. So I think we we we've, we've talked about the goaltenders. They're doing quite well and they have depth. <laughs> yeah. Defensively, from the blue line position, they don't really have as much depth. I mean, the depth guys they have right now are Michael Stone, Connor Mackey, maybe you know, depending on how you want to interpret how they've used Yusuf Alamaki, which we'll get into. You know, he's sort of the depth guy. They have, but you know, if you look at the six guys who are playing most regularly, I mean. I don't know. Like, it's hard to poke holes in terms of how they're used and how they're performed. I mean, we'll, we'll go pairing by pairing. Uh, let's start with uh, Noah Hanif and Rasmus Anderson. They've they've looked good. They, they played together a couple of years ago when Hanif first came in. They've played together last year a bit. They played together. They just look, they look comfortable. They look complimentary. And it's like both guys know what the other guy is going to do, so they don't have to do too much. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons they've been so successful in that role. They've got familiarity with each other and they've always clicked too like they've always found success together it was always something that okay this works let's try and see if we can get other stuff to work let's see if geo anderson works hannah pantana well then you've discovered hannah pantana was amazing and then you've discovered immediately the magic of chris Tannen. and so when geo leaves you can go okay well we knew we could go back to hannah and anderson in the preseason they tried uh zadarov anderson you know like we brought in zadarov let's see it was a disaster in the preseason um they went back to hannah and anderson and it worked and it gave all of her shilling shot but we're specifically talking about those two uh, rasmus anderson's been so smart with his passing this year like i've been uh, like their stretch passes and they're uh, of all the players that have taken the quick pace message to heart i think those two have really really their play and just below their own blue line and being able to D to D it to each other and get a quick up and, and go right back on the attack has been crucial to Calgary's success. So it can't be understated how much these guys are valued right now, because when they're playing that high, fast paced push game, it's because these two are constantly getting the puck up. And at the same time, being in a defensively responsible place. And None of them you, have scored can, too many goals and they're not you, trying, they're not pinching in bad spots only when it's allowed or, or it's there. And they've just, they've been solid. They've been trending up a lot, especially in the last 10 games. You can make the same case. Like we're, you know, not to, not to be too repetitive. You can say a lot of the same things about Oliver Shillington and Chris Tanev. I mean, Chris Tanev is just good. I mean, our friends in Vancouver, the Canucks and Army crew, I was talking to uh, David Quadrelli the other day and, you know, we were sort of tagging with a bunch of other things. We sort of talked about Tanner briefly, but consistently I, the thing I hear from folks in Vancouver is, well, what the hell happened with Tanner? Because Tanner is last year in Vancouver. Granted, he was playing with Quinn Hughes and basically his job was 
I don't want to call him a babysitter, but he was meant to mentor him a bit. I sort of I'll call him a babysitter. He was he was meant to take the wildness out of Quinn Hughes's game, and, and it affected Tanev's numbers. Yeah, but in here you you can make a case like I can totally see if you're the Flames going okay, well, like kind of work for Tanev with uh, with Hughes. You know, the, I think and at his worst, Shillington had some of the similar wildness to his game, so I can kind of see the the logic of it but i would say that you know shillington has helped tanev as much as tanev has helped shillington because you know shillington is just like how many times have we seen we, we saw it a bunch on the road trip where i think there's a couple there's a couple of scoring chances i want to say either against boston or against buffalo where shillington was on the opposite side of the ice and tanev was getting almost beaten on a foot race and then shillington just boop and he's there and just sort of poke check the puck away and just de-escalates the situation and he has he has that ability to use his skating to help out in so many different aspects of the game. And he does it so calmly too. He's combined his speed with the proper amount of physicality. Now you don't, when you're playing a game at that pace, you know, it doesn't need to be throw the heavy hit as heavy as you can all the time. Sometimes you just need to push the guy off the puck or separate him from the puck so you can take it. And Shillington is the only player on the roster with the speed to get up and physical speed size and physical combination where he can be up past the opposition blue line and be back on the other side of his to defend a rush without having to really stretch it out. And the multiple times I've seen him, you know, he tries the rush, gets it up deep or, you know, and it comes back right away or he pinches a little lower, but he's back. He's, he's the guy that's pushing the guy off the puck. He, he, he comes in with his speed and he just pushes them off with his shoulder, gets his stick in the right way. And then boom, gets the, without hesitation, just make sure it gets out of the blue line and then they can set up their defense the way they want to. I, I would say, yes, him and him and um, Shillington and Tanif have been more defensive. They've been better at defending in tighter of the net than Hannafin and Anderson have been. Um, it shows, uh, I, I look at the, I've been looking at the hockey viz charts a lot lately and I did that specific today. I looked at those four. Well, since I have the quarter evaluations on my mind. And yeah, they've been better at defending the slot specifically. But I mean, Chillington's five on five points and the way they've used him, utilized him, he, you know, they've given him minimum, minimal power play time and they don't use him on the PK. He's strictly pretty much a five on five against the good competition. And he's, he's just thrived. It just unlocked his potential. He, I, I would say he's less sporadic, but he's also more, you know, he's just a better skater. It, it's amazing how he's been able to use his skate, his sheer skating ability to improve his defense. It's just been I, fantastic. I would watch. say the same thing for, for I, I, my observation has been, I think Shillington and Hannafin have been better and, and probably used more consistently as the, the, the activated defender to pinch in the offensive zone. But I think they've also, because they both have that, that mobility, like Hannafin has like, he has really underrated mobility, I think. But you know, typically the problem the problem is when defenders tend to pinch is that you have either have a forward rotate back to the blue line, and forwards typically aren't very good at defending, or at least they're not as good as the defenseman you're replacing. So it puts an emphasis, a big pressure on that defenseman who pinches to be the F three coming back the other way. But I'll give I'll give them a ton of credit because how many quasi rushes the other way on turnovers have been broken up by Hannafin or, or Anderson or Hannafin or, or Shillington rather in the neutral zone or, in, you know, just inside the offensive blue line. 
for the Flames. And I think there's a bunch of them. And I think that what that's what makes them so good because, you know, even if you're like, okay, you know, we got the puck away from so-and-so and we're going the other way, you have to worry about Shillington's back pressure yeah. or Hannon's back pressure. And, you yeah. know, I, it, it's it, the structure of it's been good, but so has been the execution of it. And the, the, the ability to do that also comes from the forward back checking. And like we, we talk about how strong the flames have on a four check. They always have a guy high. They actually typically try to have never more than one guy below the goal line. If they can, they always have at least two guys or they try to, unless there's multiple guys trying to win the puck battle down the hall, they always keep two guys. high. The second guy doesn't engage until a second defender from the other team goes in. They always stay back high and let it be a one-on-one battle because of that. They forward is always on the back check and they are putting and this is my favorite part of all of this everything they've done the forwards pressure the puck carrier in the neutral zone so the forwards got the the opposing guy trying to skate the puck into calgary zone is getting pressured immediately whether it's matthew kachuk blake coleman andrew manjapani dylan Dubé, it doesn't matter someone's pressuring them and that allows the defenders the defenders get together and they meet in the middle from the red line to the blue line, they're in the middle of the ice. And so the skaters only have one option and that's to go wide. And the second they go wide as the forwards pushing them, the defender pushes them off. The puck usually goes into the zone and then the free defender on the other side goes and picks it up. And it's just, it's just, it's methodical. And then it's it D to D over the center and off the races. And boom, back out the other way. And it doesn't, it doesn't spend more than five seconds, seven seconds at a, ideally in the flame zone at any given time. So it's the reason it works is because of the forwards. I can't say because of any specific reason. All of them have to work together to make it work. And the fact that they've all bought in is the reason it's working. Yeah. And now the third, but well, yes, yeah, let's be let's be mean here. The the yeah. third pairing of the flames, uh 100%. typically Nikita Zadarov with Eric Branson. I mean, these guys are, you know, let's be completely honest, they're offensively limited. And it seems like the Flames know that. And so they're using them primarily in a defensive role. And, you know, if you look at their underlines at Evolving Hockey, and, you know, I really love Evolving Hockey because they sort of break things down in sort of the component uh, goals against replacement uh, metrics, uh, you know, defensive, offensive, and special teams and various other situations. Defensively, these guys are above replacement level. They're good at sort of minimizing chances and executing that system and getting guys out. And then, you know, they, they do they move the needle much offensively? Like they both, you know, put up some points this year, but I think, no, they're not really offensive needle movers and they're not really expected to be they're, You know, they're sort of, they're sort of, you know, I think they're, they have sort of the same kind of set of expectations that the, 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 the Richardson line does with, okay, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're not, you're not, you're basically there to not give up a lot and maintain that tempo and maintain the system and maintain the pace but the offensive expectations the the execution expectations are a little bit lower i would say they're a little bit worse at the breakouts they're a little bit worse at the puck transition but i think if you were looking at these guys on paper before the season started you probably go well yeah they're they're not really as good at that aspect of the game as the other four guys and that's why the other four guys play more and tend to be in more high leverage situations right I, Nikita Zadarov, before the season, Nikita Zadarov, I did a preview of him, sent out tweets, I looked up what he could bring. He was negative offensively, negative in transition, but he did one thing better than almost anybody in the league, and he was very, very good at it, and it was defending the slot. He didn't allow shots between, from his goaltender to the hash marks, nothing from in close, 
and it was actually tremendous how blue if he, uh, the heat map was of, his, of where he allowed his shots from. And so I was like, okay, well, he needs to do that. And when he first started, and it's the reason he probably got benched for Valimaki in the preseason, he wasn't doing that. He was a bit all over the place, trying to do too much. He was the one guy that really wasn't setting in his structure. And Gabranson did. Gabranson did, and Gabranson, he had a couple rough preseason games, and then he's just been, he's been actually solid. Like, I, you know, I numbers guys, he gives, every time he's out there, he gives me anxiety. But Daryl Sutter has a way of giving these third right-hand shot deep pairings a role that's suited for their success, and they find it. You know, you're playing against lower level competition and you're playing against penalty kill. And like you said before, know how to win. Well, just play within your limits. I, I love I loved that translation. I haven't even thought of that. So when you told me that earlier, I was all for it. And and Gabranson's been doing that. He plays within his limits. He's going glassing out. He's not overextending himself. He's not pinching ever. Uh, like his, his offensive line strategy is I'm going to throw it really hard at the net along the ice, maybe get a bounce, maybe get a deflection but it's going back hard low. It's not, we're not yeah. turning the puck I, over. I would, we're not doing any of that. I would say good Branson has been executing his role more consistently than Zadarov has. And shockingly, uh, good Branson has been getting more consistent ice time and a more consistent role than Zadarov had. Cause we haven't outside of, I think one game, we haven't really seen Michael Stone have to come in for good Branson. Cause I think good Branson has been perfectly fine. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for, yes. for, the, for, for what he's being asked to do, the time he's been given and the, uh, the role he's been given, he's been fine, you know, and, and for, for yeah, Zadarov, I think he's, I think he freelances a bit more. He gets, there's a little more wildness in his game than, uh, then there isn't in, in good Branson. And shockingly, you know, he he's had more things to blow up in his face. So I think, you know, I, I yeah. think that, you know, with Zadarov, the less he tries to do and the less he does, the better he is. Because the more he does, the more weird stuff happens. But, you know, I think, you know, I, I feel, we mentioned this in, in the past episodes, I feel kind of bad for Yusuf Lamaki because he's, he's a good young player. He's still young. He's team controlled for a while yet. But I think the big challenge for him is, the, the job he seemed best suited for is currently being filled by Oliver Shillington. And unless, unless Shillington or Hannafin get abducted by aliens or something, I don't know where Yusuf Alamaki can have a, a regular role this season. Well, he's tremendous injury insurance for those two guys. Even like, so, even if so you Michael Stone. on his offside. Yeah. So and, Michael and, Stone. So, and, and Sutter's very avid, you know, he said earlier, right wing gets hurt, right wing goes out. So if Anderson, Tanev, or Gabranson get hurt, you're going to see Stone. And if Valimaki, Schilling, or sorry, not by Hannafin, Shillington, or Zadarov get hurt, you're going to see Valimaki. And it's very, I think he's been poignant and stated in that. I will say Zadarov, the game against Chicago last night, I, I, he wanted to score. I could just tell. I could just tell by the way. How many times did he he carried the puck through the neutral zone twice, only to go offside or lose the puck at the blue line? But he hasn't done that. There, there was one <laughs> rush in the second period. No, one rush in the second period where he got hung up, uh, like right. He, he pinched. He got hung up on uh, the top of the circles in the Chicago zone, and puck went the other way. And Good Branson had to haul ass. I think uh, actually Brad Richardson hauled ass to try to break up a two on one. Mm-hmm. He basically did it, but he, he still had a nice redirect from, uh, I forget what Chicago, I, I want to say is Brandon Hagel is one of the Chicago players, but he was you know, uh, Markstrom had to make a really good save, but you know, I mean, you know, again, the less, the less Nikita Zadorov tries to do the better because when he's, better. when he's simple, yep. when he keeps it simple, he's good. When he gets fancy and tries to do too much, he ain't good. So 
just keep just simple, do kids. what you're capable just do what you're capable of and i know it, it sounds mean almost a bit but i mean it's the compliment like if you just do what you're capable of you are a bona fide nhl player and you well, can what he, win what he's Cup. capable of like the the way he plays away from the puck is good enough to get him i grant i mean you know it is what it is but he's getting 3.75 million bucks in the nhl to play a regular every basically an everyday role on a team that's doing very well because he you know at his best he's he's playing within his limits and that's you know i think that's been a, a theme of this team this year let's move on to the forwards and there's a lot of positives from forwards and some less positives but we'll start with the first line johnny Gaudreau, elias lindholm matthew kachuk Gaudreau has scored a lot of goals gotten a lot of good points lindholm's uh scoring has gotten a little bit cold his, his uh, shooting percentage 14. yeah like his shooting percentage has sort of you know normalized a bit same as kachuk's kachuk got getting some nice bounces but you know these guys have been a first line they have generated a lot they're the the backbone of the of the first power play unit they just they, they've been doing well and you know i i don't it, know what un- else we can say about them well it's just unfortunate johnny Gaudreau and matthew chuck hadn't allowed a five-on-five goal in any ice time going into the game against chicago and the one that goes by them is the one markstrom tried to pass to lindholm that went right to uh, the young kids I, I can't remember his name i apologize young man but uh Reese he, Johnson. He Reese yeah, Johnson's first, first NHL goal. goal. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, oh, that's how it happens. Like, Evolving Wild's been talking about Kachuk and his defense. It's been amazing. Gaudreau, Johnny Gaudreau's commitment. And, and you've seen it. Like, it's visible. Like, when he gets on the back check and he digs his shoulder in. Or, or, or I loved when he said he, he, he should never tell anyone to go to the gym after they asked about the hit for the holla. He said, He's like, ah, no, nah, I can't say that to anybody. I, I think like, I, his, belong, I belong in the gym. I, I, I think his his uh, his joke was he was just happy he felt he knocked him down. Yeah, and uh, but honestly, they've been a top. I think the the guys on the big show on Fan Nine Sixty, uh, fellow Flame Nation writer Pat Steinberg talked about it. He said that they're like there's only two other lines performing better and across like a basic metric. So I think one of them pure was fire uh, top line. I, I think they just outscored one of them in Boston. Yeah, and and yeah, they did. And the other one was like a Matt, the Matthews line in uh, in Toronto. He mentioned, but regardless, it doesn't matter who they go up against. The only team that's ever really shut them down was Montreal, and that was like such a one off that I'm not like based on all the numbers and how they've done that. It's more of a random occurrence than the norm. It's been nine, 18, 19 games of them just being the best players on the ice at any given time when they go out there. There's not much more you can say other than they are be the best at this point when they're out there. Like, they're, they're pushing Calgary to this record, and, and they deserve it. They, yep. they're, they're, they deserve it 100%. We, we, we talked um, earlier I will about add that. I will add just quickly, while Lindholm only has one goal in his last 14, he has 13 assists over that same stretch. So that, he's finding bad. ways to help. He's finding and, ways to help. And while he's doing that, Gaudreau's starting to score a bit more. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, change it, 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 Goes around, comes around. They'll all get goals. They'll all get over 20 this year. Or might all get over 30. The, honest, uh, so. the, t- the line with arguably the toughest role is the, the shutdown line. The rule, uh, if you're wearing a, a flaming C, is whatever line Michael Backlund's on is the shutdown line. And <laughs> He's the guy. Mike Backlund has been very Backlundy. He's been exactly what you'd expect. Uh, recently, he's been playing with Andre Mangiapane and Blake Coleman. I've seen some folks on Twitter call this the ABC line. Sure. I don't care. Call it whatever you want. They've just been good. I mean, Mangiapane, you know, he's this current Cy Young leader. I think he has 15 goals and two assists right now. Uh, Michael Backlund is 
very reliable. Blake Coleman, you know, he's been, you know, he's the physical guy in that line. He's puck retrieval. He's, you know, got some speed in him. He's got some feistiness in him. He's, you know, arguably, you know, you could call him a poor man's Matthew Kachuk in that he's not quite as good at uh, agitating or he's the physical element of it uh, or the or the two element as Kachuk is, but he's really good. I mean, you don't get two Stanley Cups in that kind of a role without being pretty good. And I think, you know, I think the line's still gelling, but they've been together for a short period of time and they've been very effective because since they've been put together, the Flames have played very, very consistent hockey. And, you know, when your shutdown line shuts guys down, you don't really notice them and they tend to score some goals and spend most of the time in the offensive zone, then they're, they're doing the right things, right? The beautiful thing about Michael Backlund right now is he is trusted completely and wholeheartedly with no reservations to go up against the top guys every single night. Like, I don't think Sutter has any reservations about, nope, Michael Backlund, you go out there and you cover Connor McDavid. Like, he has no worries about that. Like, he is, just go. You're going to cover Patrice Bergeron. You're going to cover Mark Scheifele. Like, you are the guy. I mean, and he, he doesn't. Him, so. Yeah, and, and well, he doesn't shy away either. I don't know if at the, when you drafted him, and, like, I remember watching him for the Kelowna Rockets because a guy from my hometown was playing for them. Uh, Sixth-round pick of the Calgary Flames, Riley Grantham. And so I watched that run with Jamie Benn and Tyson Berry, the amazing Kelowna Rockets team. Um I don't see he'd ever envision that he'd turn into such a good defensive forward and add in Blake Coleman, who uh, you may not have the points, but his defensive impact is felt all over this lineup. Like he is a pro he had, he had a three game stretch where he didn't allow a high danger chance at, at, at some point this season. Like he's and, just, and he's, he's killing fantastic. penalties a bit now. He's, mm-hmm. he's starting to get, I think, uh, because of the the amount of mileage on him, they didn't really lean on him a lot in the preseason. He got days off. And I think they're trying to manage him a bit from a sports science standpoint in terms of the load management. But they, they've been using him a lot more in games. You know, Mike Gould was always saying that, you know, he, he, Blake Coleman's so good. They should give him a bigger role. And I think now that he's sort of got his legs under him, so to speak, I think they've been very comfortable giving him a bigger role. And they've been rewarded because, you know, when he's on the ice, good things tend to happen. And, and we haven't even talked about the master of getting the puck to the crease. Now, it is uncanny. Everyone's like, oh, man, Japani, is this real or is this hot? This is real, folks. If you look at where he gets his shots from, the map, it is the goal medal. This man drives the puck to the goal. So if you constantly have the puck moving towards the offensive zone, Andrew Manjapani just doesn't, that's not good enough for him. Having the puck in the offensive zone isn't good. He wants the puck in the blue paint. And he wants to be there. He doesn't care if he gets beat up, whacked. He'll turn around and whack you back. He doesn't care if you're Zidane Chara. He'll turn around and get in your face. Andrew Manjapani is vastly becoming my favorite character flame in every way, shape, and form. He competes. He fights. He is so good on both sides of the puck. Always responsible. And just, it's a blessing to have him here. Honestly, it just is. And the fact that they're using him in that top six role with quality scorers that can also defend it's just allowed him to thrive even further. And yeah, that line, like if they keep the top six like that for the rest of the season, I will not complain. Barring injury, obviously, but like that is, that is, a, that is amazing lineup that takes care of you, their best matchup is going to match up against Lindholm. They're, you know, your best guys are matching up against theirs and it frees the other two lines up to play against lesser competition. Yeah, and I think, you know, is Manjapani going to be shooting close to 30% all year? I mean, probably not, but is he going to be shooting close to 20%? 
the way he's playing, I'd say, like, if you look at where he's getting his chances and his shots from, you know, you're, you're going to the high rent district in that area, right around the blue paint, like within 10 feet of the net and you're getting the puck consistently on that. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of, like, I don't think it's out of the realm of, uh, of expectation that he could, you know, be shooting, you know, 20, 21% I him, this year. I foresee him getting 30 easily. Like, like that, like a lot of people are like on Twitter and social media going 40, 50. And it's like, well, 30 is reasonable because like only 382 players have ever had two 30 goal seasons. And he 30, can do that. He, for, a guy, for a guy whose career high is 18 goals, he has 15 right now. And where it's not even, it's not even the end of November well, yet. So he's, he's going to, he's going to easily some of those pass. Pucks in, some of those pucks have decreased. Too. Like he's been the one knocking them home right now. As you get more familiarity, like he's driving, he drives. If you watch him play, like I know you do, but for the listeners, if you watch him play, he drives that puck to the crease. Now, right now, he's getting the bounces. Eventually, some of his teammates are going to start Backlund and Coleman, or if the D man pinches, they're going to start whacking those pucks in, and he's going to get more assists. So his overall point totals, I think, could reach upwards of 55, 60 points this year, which is fantastic. Fantastic for a man his age right now. And, Agreed. And, and just, just he's he's been a key cog. He's the right winger the Flames fans have been asking for forever. Yeah, he shoots left, but he's just it doesn't matter where he is. He's tenacious. So, so let's let's depress the hell out of people now. So we talked oh. about the first line that has three guys that mesh well together and have clear roles. Uh, we talked about the second line that has three guys that mesh well together and have clear roles. We've talked briefly about the uh, the the Richardson line, the King, the Kings line, which has three guys that mesh well together and have clear roles. And now we're talking about. The, the Dubé Monahan Pitlick line, which is a work in progress. Uh, Dubé is not a great defensive player. If you look at his underlying metrics at uh, places like Evolving Hockey, he's a good offensive player who's sort of replacement level defensively. He's got a shot, he's got some speed. It's very straight line speed, but he's got some speed. And, you know, he's, I think he's figuring out what he is at the NHL level. Pitlick is just a two way guy, he's more of a shutdown guy. So in theory, Pitlick's, you know, uh, lack of offense is counteracted by Dubé's offense and Dubé's lack of defense is counteracted by Pitlick's defense. So those guys, I can see the rationale of those guys being together. And Sean Monaghan is, looks like a guy trying to figure out what he is right now. And, you know, he's, it's a, it's a work in progress. I mean, I was talking to some folks, uh, some pro scouts uh, this week uh, in my travels and, you know, I don't want to rag on Sean Monaghan too much because, you know, he's got some mileage on him, but, and he's, he's scored so many good key goals for the team and he's been so good for them for so long, but he looks like he's, you know, he's a, a step. <coughs> yeah, pardon me, folks. I had to sneeze. Um, he looks like he's a step behind what he usually is. And he looks like he, because he's a step behind, he looks like his timing is a bit off. And so he looks a little bit out of place everywhere he is. And he looks like he's thinking, what am I supposed to do? because he's a little bit out of place. So, I mean, this is a, I've watched, this will sound, make me sound very old. I watched every professional game Sean Monahan's ever played. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I'm qualified to say he's been better. I think he would say he's been better. I don't, I would, my assumption is that he's healthy. I don't know that he's not. Granted, it's what, 20 games in? Nobody's at 100% now. Monaghan, uh, you know, he had off-season surgery. He's had a few surgeries over the last few years. He is a guy who, you know, he, he, he works his ass off for the summer. I can't, I don't know if he had the ability to work the way he usually does because he was rehabbing. 
he was brought along slowly in the preseason. He did not uh, play a lot of the preseason games, so his timing might not be there. I don't know if he's gotten the reps in enough yet to really have his timing, to really have his his you know his mojo, his swagger, whatever term you want to use. So I mean, he's you can make a case he's been the Flames' fourth or fifth best center, depending on how you think Dubé's a center or not. And you know, I think it's I think this team being a world beater or merely a very good team could be dependent on Monaghan figuring out what he's, what's going on. Because if Mon, if Monaghan can get, if you can flip the switch on Monaghan, if you can unlock him, I think, you know, on paper, Dubé, Monaghan, Pitlick is a very good line. Monaghan's got a really good shot. Pitlick's a good two-way player. Dubé's got some speed. The, 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 the complementarities of that trio on paper look really good, but they just haven't meshed yet. And I think some of that's Monaghan. I think some of that's, you know, Dubé figuring stuff out. Pitlick sort of, Pit, again, Pitlick had a, a fairly significant injury in the preseason and did not play very much at all in the preseason and had to work his way in. And so I think to a certain degree, he might be working on timing and, and swagger and, you know, those kind of things too. But I mean, I don't know. It's, I think this is the third line is the magic box of the, the Flames that depending on what's inside, it could make them an extremely deep, dangerous team or could just make them a very good team with a, a couple holes in it. Based on his play before he got hurt, I think Brett Ritchie slots in there when he gets back, regardless of the personnel. Uh, based on the play recently, I would say Tyler Pitlick probably comes out. He's been not. I mean, Tyler Pitlick was bringing one thing. He brought youth, and he brought the same kind of skill set that Trevor Lewis and Brad Richardson brought. Like they were, they were, they're wrap them charts. They're they're regular, regularly adjusted plus minus that Evolving Wild does, and it's a really good capture of separating your offensive and your defensive impact. Plus, it's just a Lewis, fun thing to say. Yeah, wrap them. Uh, Lewis, Richardson, and Pitlick actually all profiled the same. So so Pitlick himself is making a million dollars more than these other two guys, supposedly to have the same impact. When he was with Backlund and Coleman, it worked really well. Isolated being the lone perpetrator of trying to basically carry the defensive responsibilities of that line, he is not really absorbed it well uh pitlick had played center so i don't know if they'd ever try to go like put him there uh, obviously I, they like dubé at center more it, it's weird it's uh, i think richie and the simplistic nature of his game might help dubé and monahan more he's he's not going to lose the puck at the blue line trying to get it out he's just always chip out chip it deep chase it always doesn't look for the cross ice pass in the neutral zone nope we're getting the puck deep. And we're gonna I this. think the question is, what do you want out of that line? Because, you know. I if, want if, them to not get scored on. <laughs> if, if you want to not get scored on, maybe maybe Richie's the simplistic. Like, Richie has, like you mentioned, Richie has a lot of uh, Trevor Lewis in his, in his DNA of how he plays the game. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because he plays a simple north-south game. There's not a lot of flash in it, but it's reliable. And if you're the Flames and you're coaching, you want to have a coaching staff that trusts guys, I mean, you know, Michael Backlund is trusted to do a lot of stuff in the NHL because Michael Backlund has been Michael Backlund for the last – I think Michael Backlund has been Michael yeah, Backlund yeah. since the, the, the 2013 lockout. He came back from Vesteris in the lockout, and he, he'd gone up against the best players in the world in, in uh, the Swedish secondary league in the Allsvenskan and was really good. And then he came back and was just – He's been really good since. Like he, you know, all the best backline years, the most complete backline years have been since then. You know, and Brett Ritchie, you know, he's he's fine. He's he's an above replacement level player. He he's not a complete player, but he's I think he's a guy who knows what his limitations are. He's completely satisfied 
playing a very specific style of game if it keeps them in the NHL. Yeah, and 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 the number one thing basically right now is this roster has earned the right to be first place in the NHL. Well, they're not the team's not drastically looking for help to fill holes. They've been blessed, knock on wood, everybody. They've been blessed by only really having Richie as an injury and and, you know, and Richardson and Pitt, like to start, but like no one of significance at this point. We haven't seen what the lineup would look like without Gaudreau, Lindholm, Tkachuk, Backlund, like any of those guys. Because um, if you lose Backlund or you lose your matchup center, and then then what? Do you, like then you shift to Lindholm. Like there's a lot of questions I don't want to have to answer. Um, it's been great uh, all around. So you don't need to rush prospects up. You can let. You mentioned this on, on, uh, on Twitter today and you just sort of leading yeah. into the conversation we had about Dustin Wolf. I like the nicest thing for the flames is like, you know, Connor's area missed pretty much all of training camp, you know, with that broken foot, he's, he's right now, right now the, the flames are playing their, their 2020 first round pick on the third line in Stockton, because you know what they've got, you know, they've got Glenn Godden playing ahead of him because Glenn Godden's a really reliable center you can lean on in, in the AHL. They're playing Adam Rizichka at first line center with uh, Pelche and uh, Matthew sure. Phillips. And they're doing a great, like Pelche, Pelche and Rizichka are young guys. I think Rizichka's second, third year, I think he's third year pro now, but those guys are, yeah. they can just, they can play. And they're both, they're, I think they're tied at 16 points right now, leading the Stockton Heat and scoring. They're both in the top 10 points in the AHL. But, you know, do you need to rush Adam Rizicka to the NHL after playing? I think he played like one or two, three games in the age in the NHL last year at the end of the season during garbage time. You know, you know, you got a sense of what where he's at, but you don't need to rush him. Pelche has a – I've talked about this a lot. I really love Pelche. Pelche has some baffling in his DNA in that he's mm-hmm. – he can play with skilled players. I don't know if Pelche will be a highly skilled NHL player. But he's a guy. We saw him at the World Junior. Yeah, like we saw him at the World Juniors last year, where you know, and and I've talked about Manjapani in this way too. Uh, the thing I love about Pelche was Pelche came into the World Juniors and basically said, you know, he he was a very adaptable player when he was in Valdor when he was in Moncton. They used him in every situation, every position, every which way. He can play either wing. He can play some center if you need him to. He's not great at it, but he can play some center if you need him to. And so he's a Swiss Army knife, and he's. He's not terrible at anything, but he's pretty good at everything. So you can put him in any situation, PK, power play, any any zone, any time, any game score, any whatever, and he'll give you good minutes. And so what the day of the World Juniors is, by the end of the World Juniors, he was in the, you know, the top line half the time. And when he was in the top, top line, he was on the second line because you could just put him into fill holes. Like if a line's not working, he's got some throw leak in him that he's a line fixture. You can throw him on to whatever line needs some help in whatever area you need help in, and he'll do some stuff for you. So the good news is the stuff that we thought that would make him successful in the American Hockey League because he was so successful in the World Juniors and it – the Q, you know, the QMJHL level, he's been really good at it. So the nice thing is he doesn't need to be great at it in the NHL yet. You can give him like we like I I at this point I'm thinking we're gonna see, depending on how the flames are going, their cap situation and their standing situation in March and April. If you want to give some one of your key guys, when you're high minutes guys, a night or two off in April and you have some cap space. You can bring up Pelche for a week and try him out. And there's really, you're not going to miss the playoffs because Pelche is in for a week. So there's really no downside to it. And you get some guys some rest. And I think 
I'm pretty confident we're going to see Jacob Pelche in the National Hockey League for, I'm going to say, less than five games. Like, he'll play two to four games this year in probably, like, second, third week in April when they're just wiped out and they just want to throw some guys in or, you know, those kind of situations. But the nice thing is they don't need him to be a savior because 80, 85% of the lineup is working. And you don't really need to throw a 20-year-old kid like him, like Wolf, like Zary, like any of these other kids. You need to throw him in and say, let's see what he can do. Can he fix the Flames? Because I think the Flames have learned from this Van Berchie experiment where, you know, if things aren't going well, you know what you do? Uh, this will sound really mean. You throw Byron Fraze in there if things aren't going well. If things are going well, maybe you think about using one of the younger guys. But they don't need they've to got, try anything right now. Well, they've got got they like like they're they're at the point where Godden can be called up, and I, I think they prefer center wise. I think they do prefer Godden to Fraze. It depends depends on the role. Like I think if Richardson or Lewis goes down, I think it's nice. It's probably not played him on the fourth line. He's, he's a, he's a right you know shot. He gives him some. He gives him different looks. I think having an extra right shot up there helps. And that's fine. And like I, what the tweet you're referring to, Pike is referring to everybody, is I said uh, there, there's tons of discourse online about, well, Pelche can pick the third line. Look how good he's doing in Stockton. And, you know, you know, he's probably ready for the NHL. Let's just do it. Let's put him in there. And it's like, do you not watch the team up north at all? Did you remember the, they called it the decade of darkness? You know, all their prospects that they pushed right to the NHL and, and never got time to settle. Like the AHL works. It's a, yeah, it's a developmental well, league, and it works. Do you, you know how you know it works? I got two <laughs> words for you. Andrew Manchapani. They, yeah, they, 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 they the, the under this under this organization, and actually under the one of the coaches in stock in uh, Calgary now under Ryan Huska, and then under Kale McLean, the Flames basically they tried to overcook their 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 players. Shillington learned how to play NHL or North American defense under Ryan Huska, and now he's just killing it in the NHL. Uh, Andrew Majapani was learned to play pro and good hockey under Huska, and now he's killing the NHL. Uh, you know, Dubé. I, 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 I think that I, I think as you, you, we mentioned, I think they rushed it, him a bit. We mentioned in a very macro way the idea that the fact that the Flames have had success, the individual players had success playing a system and existing within a system has allowed, you know, it allowed them to stick to the system when things aren't always going great so that you know i think they've gotten positive reinforcement from that level too from a player development standpoint though they've under true living and under the ahl coaches they've had under the development team they've had they've been completely content to park guys in stockton until they boot their boot the door you know and then run to the plane you know they they, this remember i think you really remember they had a they had a month it was the year that Rasmus Anderson got criticized for his fitness and development camp. And then he went back to Ontario, gotten better. Sh- I think he went back to Sweden actually, but anyway, he, he got, you know, uh, criticized a bit by Trey living publicly for his fitness. He went home, he worked his ass off in the summer. And then he was probably Stockton's best defense most consistently during that season. And his reward was he got called up for a month at the end of the season. And, you know, he, yeah, didn't play, he only played a hand. Yeah. He played a few games, but the whole idea was they parked him in the, in the, in the, uh, in one of the stalls across from Mark Giordano and said, we want you to watch him and do what he does. Because if you do that, you're going to be okay. And he's like, okay. And, you know, if, I think that's that's the mindset the Flames have. Like, you're going to, you know, they, they have a developmental plan for a lot of these guys, and they don't really need to rush them. And they you know, they have enough reliable AHL guys. I mean, they have, you know, Justin Kirkland, who's, you know, a, a WHL kid who who went pro. And he's, you know, he, Justin Kirkland is never going to be an, a regular NHL player, more likely than not. But, you know, he's insulation because you can p- put Connor Zary 
on the third line with Fraze and Kirkland, and you can just let him get his game going on the third line. And you can, you know, the Stockton Heat collectively are that proverbial Stockton third line where, you know what, you can, you can let Pelche and Rizichka and Phillips and all these guys be yeah, great. They can get great there and play in all-star games and just like the Stockton Heat have lost one game in regulation this year. They're the second or third best team in the American Hockey League and the second best hockey league in the world, all due respect to the KHL, but it's true. So let them give them a let them be great in Stockton. And if they're great in Stockton long enough and there's an opening in Calgary, great. But you don't really need to go to a 20-year-old and say, hello, person who is more more recently a child than anything else, please fix this aspect of an NHL hockey team. Because that's yeah, that's that's too much pressure to put on someone. I mean, you know, you don't ask someone, you wouldn't ask a 20-year-old to fix your car, you don't want to ask a 20-year-old to fix your hockey team. And, Granted, uh, unless they're the, really the, good at fixing curves. The number one thing I think they did too in the minors is they surrounded them with good pros, like guys that have played NHL games, but you know, didn't really stick their talent. Kevin Gravel, Andy Walensky, you know, you've got Trey's, he's played, and, and they're pros that know how to, you know, they can show the younger guys as well as a mix. This is this is this is Nick D. Rookies. Simone erasure. This is Nick D. Yeah. Simone erasure here yeah, I i'm complimenting it. i'm complimenting all these 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 like they signed them albeit you know it seemed like depth at the time but really i mean it helps these young pros like connor mackey can watch uh kevin gravel prepare or or andy Walensky prepare and how they he conducts himself on a day-to-day basis because they want to you know they all still want a shot to go back up pro too they all i think they're at the point where most of them understand that okay well it's the kids it's my job to bring them along and it, you teach, you know, it's consistent effort. You know, this is how you be a professional. So when you're a professional and when you go to Calgary, when you get your shot, kid, this is how you act professionally. In Calgary, you maintain your fitness. You eat your meals at the right time. You take your naps for the games at the right time. You you do things properly. And then when they get to Calgary, they're not late for meetings. They're not sleeping in. They're not messing around, breaking the coach's rules because coaches have their own rules. It, they're, they're allowed to know. Like training camp this year, all those guys got sent down right away. And everyone was like, they didn't get a chance in the chest. I was like, Sutter knows. Sutter said it himself. He said, if you're under 20, you're going to go try and win Memorial Cups because it's good for you. It's good to be a best player in the league. And, and that's why and I think it's good to have Jacob. Let's Pelsey be honest here. Let's be honest here. It was Daryl Sutter's first training camp with all these guys. He had never had a full training camp. I mean, he had mm-hmm. a training camp of any kind with Johnny Goodrow or yeah. Elias Lindholm, or Ulrich. Any of them. So I, I think yeah. as much as like I, I do agree, lose. it would have been kind of cool to see Jacob Pelche play with Backland or Froelich or no, Backland or Lindholm or whoever. But I can understand why they didn't want to do that. And now that we've seen how it's turned out, you have a cohesive Stockton bunch. You have a cohesive NHL bunch. You have a, you know, teams playing well and having internal competition. I mean, it's, it's hard and to argue with success. It's hard to argue guys outside. Like you, you, you've been watching USHL players, specifically Ilya Nikolaev. Um, and there's, there's Jeremy Poirier that Ryan Francis went back to. Like they've got good quality. Now Francis isn't signed. I, I fully. They've got, they've got, they've got, uh, they've got options. They have depth guys. They've got, well, they've got a guy, they've got young prospects with potential to play in the NHL coming as well, but they don't need to rush sign. So as you let these other guys get older, eventually you can let the older talent that you filled in, trickle out bring in these younger guys and then to have matthew phillips if he's still here or, or someone leading the charge down there 
as, but like, you know, if, if Zari is still there next year, well, a new pro can come in and they can watch Connor Zari, right? Like it, it helps all around. Like Ryan Francis can come in and watch Connor Zari if Zari is still there next year. It probably will be, um, depending on how his back half goes. Uh, you don't need to rush these guys. They don't need to come in just because they're first round picks and play in the NHL. 22 years old, you still going to have any, you can play to your 36 and that's still a 16 year career. Like that's, that's insane and and it's or 38 but but and that's that's tremendous and that's more than most people get we see monahan's in folks you just heard in real time shane do the math and realize that he thinks he thought mark giordano was two years to be in the nhl then he recalculated yeah i had to to rethink i think mark uh, side note just because you mentioned him i think mark giordano should represent team canada at the olympics but that's not, not a chance for this he will, podcast. He will not make it, but we'll see. Uh, I think we, I think we've, uh, we've almost ran out of time. So uh, coming up this week, uh, the flames are shockingly back at home, but not for very long. They have a, a game on Saturday when they host the Winnipeg jets and what's being called nineties night, which I assume it's going to mean we're going to hear a lot of Nirvana and everyone will be wearing either flannel or neon, depending on their uh, proclivities. Uh, and then Monday, Sidney Crosby and the, the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be in town. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, who the Flames beat in Pittsburgh a little while ago. And after that, the Flames are, again, on the road. They're going to California and Vegas. Can they win a game at T-Mobile Arena? We will find out in a couple of weeks. It'll be very exciting. This has been Flames Nation Radio, brought to you by DoorDash. So thank you for listening. For, uh, for Shane, I am Ryan. Have a great week, you guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.